Okay, we come to the fourth of our series, concluding with um, Virgin Mary. Last week we looked at Genesis 18, and um, we saw how three visitors came to visit Abram in his tent to announce to Sarah that she was going to have a son. Remember one of those visitors was the capital A, Angel of the Lord. It's the Son of God who appeared in the flesh temporarily, just briefly. But now he makes his entrance to earth again, but this time he comes in the womb of Mary. He kept his promises. He kept his promise. Right? Sarah did receive a son, and 2,000 years later, after Abraham, you see him entering the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Emmanuel, God with us. And so I'd like to turn with us this morning to, uh, first of all, Isaiah 7.14. There's a prophecy of that. And then we're going to turn to Luke 1, 26 to 38. Isaiah 7, verse 14. We hear these words. Therefore, the Lord himself, he's talking to Ahaz here, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, 700 years later, we see God keeping his promise. Luke 1, 26 to 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the highest, the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of, Jay of Jacob, forever and the kingdom there will be no end then mary said to the angel how can this be since i do not know a man and the angel answered and said to her the holy spirit will come upon you the power of the highest will overshadow you therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of god now indeed elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be me, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's our focus. The Virgin Mary. You remember, right? God had promised from the very beginning that there was going to come a son. His son was going to come and defeat Satan for us and give us salvation. He was going to crush his head 
And yes, Pastor, here I see two things. What's that? Because it grand grandson got a son, they promised. Yep. Yeah. She was the only woman like uh, she don't have a baby anymore. Exactly. And that is impossible. And after so many years, like uh, Mary Virgin Mary, still she's virgin. I'm not age for a child. Right. When she got a, like a son. From his son. Yeah. Like a Yeah. And then to know that. It's the, the Holy Spirit. And then to think that her cousin Elizabeth was also past the age of childbearing and barren. Right? And all those things illustrate what? Our need for salvation. But that need of salvation is, is a miracle, right? It's, that salvation is a miracle that God brings about, and we need to believe it, right? All those examples of the women, and even Mary, right? It shows that salvation is of the Lord. It's a miracle of the Lord, and, uh, and we need to believe it by faith. And seeing over the last number of weeks, right, we see that, uh, think about today too, um, but back then, even with Abram and Sarah, and also today, the promise of God should never be doubted. Should never be doubted. Maybe we have that fleshy tendency to doubt something what God says. And neither should it be laughed at. Right? But to be believed. It says Mary, she submitted to the word of God at the end of verse 38. She says, you know, let it be so to your maidservant. Okay, and what we see here is that the angel Gabriel, the angel Gabriel announces that the eternal son of God, eternal son of God, will be born in the flesh. God, man, for three purposes. Well, ultimately one purpose, to save us, but it doesn't stop there, to reign over us, and it doesn't stop there to make a new creation, right? To save us, to reign over us, and to make a new creation. So, welcome. Maybe, maybe someone can give them a hand. Okay. So that's what we want to look at this morning, right? And that's very much in the text as we're going to see. Um, first of all, the Son of God will be born in the flesh to save us. So the question is, okay, after 4,000 years of promise, the question is, where is the Son going to be born? And to whom, from whose womb will the Son be born? Oh, must be Rome, right? Because it's the, the, the great capital of the Roman Empire. No, it's not Rome. Well, maybe it's Jerusalem because it's the, the great city of God. No, it's not Jerusalem either. And how about the womb? Will the womb that carries the greatest of all treasures? I think it will be a princess, don't you? Some great princess, some famed princess. No, 
God sends his, his angel, Gabriel, to a very obscure village. It's an unknown village. Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. It didn't have a, a good reputation either. People thought lightly of that village. That's where God sends the angel to that village. And not to a princess either, but to a poor woman, a poor lady, okay, to a virgin, pledged to be married to Joseph. Well, Joseph, he must have some sort of high-standing occupation, right? No, he's a plain carpenter. He had to find the odd jobs, right, to keep on building. He's there with his hammer and, and nail, fixing, or mortar and cement, making homes, a plain carpenter from that village. That's where the angel goes. That's to whom the angel goes to, to Mary. You know, it's not what the world calls greatness. We tend to look for greatness, but God is great, and he works in humble means, and he makes humble means his greatness, right? And that's what we see here. Here you see also God humbling himself. God humbling himself for our sake. You know, who is it that needs salvation? Who is it that's very poor, spiritually poor? It's us. And God shows that by, by humbling himself even to the womb of a poor virgin. And yet, remember the promises. Who are the descendants of? Both Joseph and Mary. Abram and Sarah, no doubt. But also David. Very clear in the text there, verse 27, 28. Okay. She came from the house of Joseph. So did Joseph. Sorry, the house of David. So did Joseph. He came from the house of David as well, you know, from Matthew chapter 1. But the question is, what's left of David's house? Was there anything left of it? That was the church of that day. The church. Where was it? Was there anything great about it? No. Who's going to save that house? It was almost gone. It was almost decimated. Joseph, yeah, no doubt, Joseph really is a prince. He's a prince of God. He comes from the line of David. David was the mighty king. Same with Mary. She's a, really a princess. The world don't see that. The world don't see that we're sons and daughters of God, prince and princesses. But never the mind is what God sees. What God sees. But it, from the world's perspective, it doesn't look a bit like it. You have a church that's basically raised to the ground. It's in shambles. It's almost disintegrated. And Joseph himself, he had to work really, really, really hard to, make a, to, to earn for a slice of bread. One slice of bread. It was hard slugging for him. And he's engaged to a lady, Mary, his wife, to be was also very, very poor. But you know what? They both belong to the Lord. And that's the key thing here. They trust him. They have him. That's their wealth. That's more than all the wealth of the world. When you have him, you have all the wealth that you could ever have and even ask for. Right? The riches of this world, it goes to fire eventually. It's gone. But if you have the Lord, you have something that's forever. You have him. 
The angel Gabriel sent by God, he comes almost very quietly, enters into the home, a very simple home. Maybe it was a one-room hut, one-room house where Mary was living. Don't forget, Joseph is not living there because they're not married. They're engaged to be married. Joseph is in another place. Mary is there alone. But the angel of the Lord, angel simply means messenger, and God sends the angel to bring a message to Mary. No one else in the world knows about it. It's very quiet, it's very serene, and he goes directly to Mary's home. And what's the first words that come out of the angel's mouth? Mary, rejoice. Joy to the world, right? Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And she's troubled, but she's not troubled by the angel in her presence. She's troubled by what the angel says. She's troubled at the honor that the angel gives to her. She's troubled because she sees herself as too low to be blessed with the goodness of the Lord in her life. But yeah, it's God's grace alone. That's what we need to see here. Whatever we have is none of our own doing. Whatever we have, right, it's all and only from the grace of God. And that's why Mary is blessed too. That's why she's favored. It's not that she's better than anybody else. Mary's not better than anybody else. That she does not deserve this place more than any other woman in the world. By the way, there's no legitimate place for worshiping Mary, as many people do. She may not be worshipped. That's idolatry. And she may not be prayed to. That's also idolatry. Scripture gives no place for that whatsoever. She's human like us. She's in need of a Savior. You notice in the song later, in Luke chapter 1, she calls God what? Her Savior. She needs a Savior like any one of us. It's His grace alone. God chose her in His plan from the very beginning. It wasn't God all of a sudden thought, oh, there's a nice lady. No. Even before the creation began, God had her in mind. That he was, she was going to be the one that would bear his chosen son for our salvation. You know, it's his grace. His grace alone. Verses 30 and 31, he says to Mary, you don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Who's the son she will conceive? God's son. God's son. That's the son he will, she will conceive in her womb. As God's eternal son, is his only begotten son, son in the flesh. That's what's so unique to Christianity. This is what makes Christianity different from all the other religions. Is this very central point, this central teaching. Everything in Christianity falls or everything is built on this very truth. All of Christianity, everything that follows from this is built on this very truth. The incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He takes upon himself, the eternal son of God, he takes upon himself a human body 
like ours. Don't think, don't think he left behind his divinity and became man. No, he kept his divinity. He remained God and he took to himself. He took to himself a human body like ours from the flesh and blood of Mary. God in the flesh. Wow, Mary had a glorious privilege of being that one. For what purpose? The purpose is that he, the son that she was carrying, would save us from our sins. You say, well, God had to go through a lot of work for that to this point. Yeah, but you see what God was willing to do, humbling himself in order to save us. And that's what we see going on here. You shall call his name Jesus. She said, he, he says to Mary, what's Jesus mean? Savior. And if we go back to Matthew 121, literally means he shall save his people from their sins. Wow. There's good news here. Maybe you feel that your sin is very, very strong and you can't manage it. You simply can't subdue it in your life. You just can't overcome those sins in your life. Well, there's good news. True, you can't save yourself. You can't improve yourself. I can't improve myself. But Jesus is strong. Not only do you see his willingness to save and humbling himself into the womb of a poor virgin, but he's strong. He's powerful to save every one of his people. And he will save every one of his people, no matter what their sins are. Every one of his people. That's a promise here, right? He shall save. He shall save his people from their sins. Never doubt that. Though we may be troubled by many sins in our lives, just as you look to the one who's powerful, who's strong to save. Look what God did. Look what God went through in order to, to accomplish that plan of salvation for us, humbling himself in this way to become man. He is God. But he's also man because it's man who sinned, right? The first Adam, he failed in obeying God. And we all fell in Adam. And all fell in Adam equally so. Don't think that there's some sinners that are worse sinners than other sinners. In Adam, same level. Sinful. Same level. Okay, maybe from the, from the human eye, it looks different. But in God's eyes, we're all equally sinful. And how do we know that? Because death spread to all people. There's not one person here who won't die. Right? That's the, the penalty for sin. Of course, Christ takes that penalty. So for the believer, the, the death is not real death. It's a shadow, as Psalm 23 would say, into eternal life. It's a passageway into eternal life. But we need another Adam. That's the point. We need another Adam, a new man, to be our head. A new man. The old Adam is not going to do. We need a new Adam, a new human race, which he's going to, to build. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You know, and taking upon himself a true human body like ours, what else is he going to take upon himself? The punishment 
for sin, our sin, the sin that we deserve. That's why he became human. We sin, and he's going to bear that punishment, take it all upon himself, the sins of all his people, no matter how gross those sins are, how terrible and deep those sins are. He has promised he would carry it on his own back and be willing to be mocked, be willing to be striped, be willing to be spit upon for our salvation. The Bible says, the Lord's arm is not too short, not too short to save. Isaiah 59 verse one, it's not too short. He's got a long arm and he will accomplish everything that he has promised to do. Just look at what he's doing in Mary. He, the son of God is born in the flesh because he's able to save you from your sins and he's willing. There's no more perfect uh, balance. I mean, there's no more perfect kind of person who can save us than one who's willing and able. Sometimes we're willing, but we can't. Sometimes we're able, but we're not willing. But here you have one who's perfectly willing and perfectly able to save us. But there's more here. He is also born in the flesh to reign over us. We need a man to reign over us. One who's God at the same time. But Adam lost his reign. And now we need another man, a new man, a new Adam to reign over us. Who can it be? Because we can't rule ourselves. Look at those sinful passions inside of us. We need someone to manage our lives. We need someone to, to help us control our sinful nature. Here he is, the one announced by the angel Gabriel to Mary. And you notice here in verses 32, 33, we are given an outline of the future. These poor people who go to astrologers to try to figure out what their future is going to be. Oh, how terrible. They live in so much fear. Aside from the fact that God doesn't want us to do that. But here you see a whole outline of the future. Right? The incarnation of the center, it comes from all the way from God's word to Adam, the promises. And he lays out the whole future before us. Okay, in terms of uh, what Christ is going to do in his person and in his work. He's eternal king, and it speaks of his eternal kingdom. Look at 32, 33. And he will be great, full of rich promises. He will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him. There's the action. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will, there's another action. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will last for a thousand years. No, his kingdom will be forever and ever and ever and ever. Think of the Handel's Messiah song, right? The son born of the Virgin Mary. He's going to do something for us that we could never do. And he's going to obtain the victory over Satan. He's the Satan crusher, the crusher of the head of Satan. He's going to overcome sin. He's going to overcome death. He's going to overcome hell. How is he going to do that? By rising from the dead. God in the flesh. It must be someone in the flesh to do that for us in our place. Man, a new man, a new Adam. Christ is going to do that. Thank God that because he did that, he can also defeat sin in us. Right? He overcomes. 
so that we can overcome. Oh, there's so much good news here, right? He can subdue our sinful passions in us. He's that powerful. No one can say, well, my sins are too strong. I have to give in to it. I know it's the human side, but who's the great one who's able to? He reigns and even gives us his Holy Spirit so that his spirit may reign in us and our lives. We heard that this morning from Galatians chapter 5. He ascended into heaven after rising from the dead. He says, I'm going to show you and show the world that I am king. I am king and Lord over all, Lord of lords and king of kings. Forty days after he arose from the dead, he arose where? How? In our flesh. As man, the new man, the new Adam, now sits at the right hand of God the Father, showing that he is king. As the, as the angel announces to Mary, notice what the angel said? He will be great. There's his greatness, his resurrection, his ascension. And he will be called the son of the highest. There's no one higher than him. No one higher. There's no one that can do what he does. He gains the kingdom for us. Notice, not only does he live forever, and all those in him live forever, but his kingdom is forever. He gains the kingdom for us in the flesh. Notice this, and the Lord God will give him, that is his son, the throne of his father, David. Don't think Jerusalem here. He's not referring to Jerusalem. He's not talking about when Christ comes back. He's going to assume some sort of physical throne in Jerusalem. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? 1,000 years before, David or God spoke to David. Remember? 1,000 years before. 2 Samuel 7. He says to David, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom, and I will establish his kingdom forever. The one in Jerusalem is only 1,000 years. That's not forever. Right? I will establish his kingdom forever. David and the kings following him, they all were sinful. They all, they all died. They couldn't accomplish something like this. There were only men, not God. Here you have God in the flesh. There's no way that those kings could gain an everlasting kingdom. At the same time, Mary... At the, same, at the time of Mary, there was, true, there was not much left of the kingdom of David. The kingdom was in shambles because of sin. No king. And yet God fulfills his promise in Jesus, the one born of the Virgin Mary, herself from the lineage of David. And then in this context, that's when the angel proclaims, the Lord God will give you the throne of his father, David. What's he referring to, the throne of his father David? Speaking of his ascension into heaven, that's when he assumed the throne of his father David, when he ascended to heaven 40 days after. And that kingdom that he gained at his ascension, that kingdom is going to last forever and ever and ever. Sure, at some point when Christ returns, he'll give the kingdom over to the Father, but that kingdom will continue to live forever, to be forever and ever and ever. The angel says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He's the one who raises the house of Jacob to life. 
Who's the house of Jacob? It's the church, right? The new Israel, the new Israel of God. This is the church today. The church today is really, you say, the manifestation of Christ's reign on earth. Here you see something of the, the, um, the character of Christ uh, that's, that's in the church by the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, outwardly, today too, like in Mary's day, the church doesn't look very strong. It doesn't look very victorious in our world. But we have to remember, neither did the Son of God, when he came to earth, look very victorious. He didn't look very victorious in the womb of Mary, the Virgin Mary. In the manger, it didn't look very victorious. On the cross, definitely not. Yes, the church today, and I think we think about it at Christmas time, especially with the, the persecution generally rises in the world against the church. There's persecution, there's bloodshed, there's violence toward those who give their hearts and lives, their allegiance to Christ Jesus and not to the mores of the world. But Christ's kingdom is not earthly, it's not glitzy, it's not made of gold and silver. Remember the cross? It's wooden. It's simple. Yeah. In all the temples, that gaudy idol looking down there, you know, it's just man's attempt to make his glory on earth. No, it's simple. Christ's kingdom is not earthly or political, but he establishes his reign of grace and truth in the hearts and lives of his people. That's what's lasting. That sense of peace and joy in the hearts of his people. I like what Paul says in Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's peace, joy, and righteousness. That's the character of Christ's kingdom. The world laughs, no doubt. But don't doubt. The kingdom is more secure than ever. Christ is never going to lose his hold on it. There's going to be no coup d'etat. No one's going to overthrow him. He's already overthrown the enemy. We live among defeated enemies. You know, before his glorious kingdom, and see it happening today, the empires of the world are going to go down. They're going to pass away. And Jesus, he's the one who's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Revelation 19. And his kingdom shall prove to be an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion shall not pass away. You know, you think, well, how is this possible? Because, you know, from Adam, we went from life to death. In Christ, it goes the reverse. It goes from death to life. And you say, well, it doesn't fit with the law of physics. Because the second law of thermodynamics says everything goes from order to disorder. It's just, well, it's the miracle of God. And that points us right back to how this miracle occurred in the womb of Mary. How is this possible? It's the power of God who reverses the curse. That stems to the Son of God, right? The, uh, the miracle of the Son of God taking on our flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Mary herself asked that. How can this be? You know, because the power in the womb is the same power in the world and in the lives of God's people. 
The one who is born in her is also born in us to reign, to, to live forever. You know, so that Mary here is not doubting. She's just astonished. She's astonished. The Son of God is born in the flesh, not only to reign over us, but also to form a new creation. Notice the power in her womb, first of all. Answering Mary's question, the angel responds in verse 35. The Holy Spirit, this is how it will happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. No, not the Son of Joseph. Okay? Sometimes people talk about uh, Joseph being the father of Jesus. That's not true. The legal father, yeah, but the Heavenly Father, right? The Son of God. Is anything too hard for God? Verse 37 makes it very clear. For with God, nothing will be impossible. The world calls it a scandal. Yeah, right. God becoming creature, creator becoming creature. Yeah, right. God taking on human flesh. But what we see here by faith is the wisdom of God. Something that no human being could ever conceive or imagine in his own mind. That God in his wisdom is securing the way of salvation and a kingdom and a life without end. His son, who is God, takes to himself a body like ours. But he, how is he conceived? Not by a man, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that, why does he do that? So that he does not inherit the sinful nature of our first Adam. Had it be even a product of Joseph? He would have inherited the sin of the first Adam. The angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And what does that mark? That marks a new beginning for man, a new creation, a new Adam. Just as the Spirit overshadows the water at the beginning of the world and forms the first creation, so the Spirit here is going to overshadow Mary to form a new creation in her womb. Hers will be the womb of a new world. And the wonder Mary in her song sings. She sings about the overthrow of the world's wicked and the exaltation of God's people. There will be a reversal of that someday. A king conquers. You see here, not only a power in the womb, but the power in the womb is also the power in the world. Along a king conquers, and once he's gained what he conquers, what does he do? He rebuilds, he makes new. And that's what Jesus is doing today by the mighty work of his spirit. Yeah, just through very simple means, through the gospel, through the preaching of the word of God. You know, just a reminder of a, just another example of this, one man who had no knowledge of who we were, called he says can I come and he said he came here and he sat in the car five minutes wondering whether he should come in he was terrified of walking into a church building he almost left he said and now he's he's hearing the scripture one hour every week it just goes to show that God does his work in his way by the working of his Holy Spirit making lives new 
the church, his people, are a new creation by the miracle of new birth that takes place in his people. The one born from Mary is the one who is born in us by the Spirit of God that we become Christ. It's by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Just three scriptures I want to look at. Notice what James 1 says. Of his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of God, by the word of truth, that we might be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. John 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born with water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5, If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. All things have passed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How's that possible? God's power. The world don't see it. They're confused. They think, well, you just become a better person on your own. They don't see the miracle of God's grace. The miracle of God's grace of salvation, right? Which began in in uh, Mary's womb. You see it in the lives of His people in the world is possible. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all the blessings that go along with this renewed universe. It will not belong to the empires and the Trudeaus of this world. It will not. They will pass away. They will be dethroned. We will inherit with the saints in Christ a new heaven and new earth a place where there's no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more sin. Fullness of life, fullness of fellowship. How do we know? Because the Bible says so. That's where Revelation ends. His kingdom will be forever and ever and ever. It's already begun. It's already begun. It began His mediatorial kingdom began in the womb of Mary. That's where it began. We deny the incarnation. We deny everything else of the Christian faith. We deny salvation. So critical. It's so, it's the central teaching of the Christian faith, the incarnation. How does Mary receive the message? She says, let it be to me according to your word. As a virgin with child, she would suffer ridicule for the sake of Christ. No doubt. They would see the bump. See, she's not married. She's not married. There was a scandal, they would think, they would say. But by God's grace, Mary was willing to suffer that ridicule because she chose life. How about us? Are we willing to suffer ridicule for the sake of Christ? Because life is so much more, is so much better the life that God gives us in Christ. Many mock it. Many laugh at it. But by believing it, yes, you will suffer ridicule, but you are blessed. You are blessed like Mary. You are blessed as sons and daughters of God because you have that life, that life eternal in Christ. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. See his wise care for us and for us in our salvation. Like the Christmas song says, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, 
let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen.